the thing I want to sort of circle back on here as well is the idea of innovation, right? Because the the way that the, that is discussed in um in the in the paper is they they see this number one. We've we talked, I think, about what it means really, why they actually want to do it, why they ostensibly want to do it, and what it would mean for you, which is almost crucially almost nothing. But yeah, innovation so like, wise, do, do we imagine that the Bank of England has some sort of sinister motives here? Uh, <laughs> no, couldn't well, possibly. So everything is so fine. In, so innovation wise, right? They see it as a kind of platform, a sort of a place where you can, if you are HSBC or whatever, or Starling Bank, you can go through and you can innovate on this ability to for example program money oh <laughs> yes yeah programmable money no. is a is a very scary thought and before we describe what that is i'm going to remind everyone that britain is has a habit especially in the last 30 years of creating these systems of fine-grained social control in order to achieve some some kind of goal that they see as benign and those fine-grained systems of social control at some point pass into the hands of even bigger reactionaries <laughs> who then do all the things that we've seen do, being done at the home office. Again, not that the home office really was ever benign, but you get my meaning. Let's talk about programmable yeah. money. Oh, programmable money is not something you will see in the uh, Bank of England documents. And you don't see it in ECB documents anymore because they have learned to shut up about it. <laughs> because it, um, but you know, if you go to uh, industry conferences on this thing, you tend to meet people who get into digital currencies are really, really keen on the idea of programmable money and have no idea what they sound like to a normal human being. So you get people saying, "Well, wouldn't it be great, for example, if you could, if you had a kid at university?" You could send them some money that they were only able to spend on textbooks, and they couldn't spend it on alcohol. Wouldn't that be fantastic? And you know, you're looking at them going, "Did you just say that out loud?" And you know, so you could send money that had to be spent within two weeks, or or it just blew up, or you could give someone some money, but they could only spend ten percent of it every month, so they couldn't spend it all at once. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Doesn't that sound like a great innovation? Yeah, you could make some money that would only be you could only use to buy like um olive flavored vapes. Yeah. Well, well, that's <laughs> you could you could, for example, let's say say okay, well, look, there's um there is a parallel financial system. We have Britcoin, which is distributed, say, directly by the central bank. We also have this other sort of banking system with non-programmable money. However, we've, we've now decided the Department of Work and Pensions is going to be paying out, say, housing benefit in Britcoin. And by the way, you can't buy like fish with it. You can buy you can't buy fresh vegetables with it. You can buy certain tinned foods and you can pay rent. That's sort of about it. I was going to say, we actually already have this system in London where um, you get your salary and then 70 percent of it can only be spent on rent. <laughs> um, it's already been implemented. Yeah. yeah. And, and in fact, they do mention programmable money in the new consultation paper. But again, they don't focus on it. And they say technology is emerging that allows users to set rules to limit their own spending on certain project products, for example, on gambling. Um, and they, that that's the that's what they, they talk about. They don't talk about. The fact that that programmable money can be programmed by anyone, uh, so long as they're in control of it. Yeah, the sort of like the contract law implications. Yeah, this this is why the private sector might come to your uh, rescue, because obviously there's no high street bank is going to want to be the first one to come out with programmable money, because it's a terrible idea that everyone hates. And 
they do seem to be stepping away from the surveillance state uh, aspect of this because they want the thing to get widely accepted. One thing I did notice in the Bank of England uh, and the ECB documents is that they are very good at reassuring people that the state and the Bank of England won't have access to all of your transaction data. All of that transaction data is going to stay with the private sector banking system, who are so much more trustworthy. <laughs> which, which, and which the entire sort of apparatus of the yeah. security system is already hooked into. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, and the security system can get it anytime they want as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> are you feeling reassured? Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. It's, yeah. Hey, guess guess what, everyone? It will be no worse unless someone really awful gets their hands on it. That has never gone wrong in the past. If anything, if you're selling this to like you know intelligence services or financial investigators or whatever, this is a benefit because now we're going to have a whole new thing. You don't need to change any of your systems. You're still getting it from the same place. So you know, perfect. You can still use your same databases. You can still like you know call into the same things. Well, you also don't need to manage your relationships with like. Like your guy at HSBC now who gives you all the things because now it's mm-hmm. just one pub, one ledger. Easy. <laughs> uh, wait, we've automated more of the guys. That's, uh, I love to automate. That's guy. perfect. Coming back around on this, central bank digital currencies have been interesting me largely for a few reasons. Number one, as well, the furthest along um, trial of a central bank digital currency is, I believe, in Nigeria, the E Naira, uh, where again it is. Uh, been released to great havoc, uh, as I'm given to understand it. It is um, relatively unpopular, and people don't particularly <laughs> like using it uh, because people like cash. Like they mostly prefer cash if they can have it. But secondly, it is that explains e- why all my payments from Nigeria are taking so long. <laughs> that guy promised me I had an inheritance due. No, and the other thing as well is that it's a perfect example, I think, of and the well for reasons other than those that we've discussed is just looking at at an innovation-shaped container and deciding to pour your thing into it. You know, of, of saying, well, there is, there, there, we, we must, therefore, we, there, there is this thing that enables us to centralize a lot of power. We must, therefore, create it. Um, and even though it is, let's say, not responding to demand, I don't mean demand in sort of a democratic sense, but rather in the way that, say, the development of the Industrial Revolution depended on people building machines to keep up with one another's machines, thereby creating, like, economic demand. Something like contactless payments. That was a revolution. That was an evolution in payments infrastructure. It required new rules and new systems. It required new kinds of trust to be implemented so you didn't have to like know your secret number, right? That was that was an innovation. It also responded to a number of, let's say, external forces such as COVID uh, accelerating people not wanting to touch the same uh, uh, payment platform. But I, I, well, until we talked about, though, the, uh, the fact of needing to force out sort of... Um, competing private currencies, this is sort of how I saw central bank digital currencies as trying to invent something without any real demand for it. But it seems like the demand is coming from inside the house. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, as, as you say, in, I mean, there's the e-Naira, there's the Bahamas sum dollar, which also, as far as I can see, hasn't been very popular. People are quite happy with electronic payments and contactless payments. You know, they use them a huge amount. They've got huge share in... Uh, Nordic countries at the moment, cash is basically gone there, but people are happy using them just connected to their bank. Um, having an electronic version of cash, people are only interested in if it's actually going to be like cash, and for all sorts of reasons. The central banks are never going to give you anything electronic that is actually like cash in the sense of being able to bundle it up and uh, transfer it with complete offline anonymity. But they kind of feel like they've got to be in this game. 
uh, as you say, to keep people out of it. Um, and a lot of the time, with central banks in particular, and I think a lot of government organizations are like this, they just build up this sort of power because it might be useful to have it one day. There's no particular reason to be more worried about Mark Zuckerberg inventing the Libra than to be worried about uh, Barclays contactless cards taking market share uh, over physical cash. It's just that someone's looked at it and thought, yeah, we, you know, we're the Bank of England, we're the Federal Reserve. We don't give away power um, without someone coming up with a reason to actually stop us from doing something. It's such a sort of like sign of the times that the like biggest battleground for like state capacity that we're actually contesting is on both sides being contested by people who aren't really that into why they're doing it and sort of like have a mixed understanding of why and what they possibly want to do. It's like perfect ambivalence and sort of like ignorance. And it's, it's, it's just great. I love it. You know? And I think that the last thing, right, is that, you know, this, this is power that is being built up and centralized for reasons other than its exercise. And yeah, every it's time just sort of happens, like being accumulated for like it to have around and for the same reason that like crypto guys on the sort of libertarian side weren't able to say what they wanted to like break the monopoly of a central bank for other than just uh, it you know vibes are you triggered like in the same way you have this like institutional thing where it's like why do you want to do this because we feel like we should be probably well you know and also the libertarian crypto guys were direct descendants of the libertarian gold guys uh, who mm. you guys will all be too old, old to remember too young to remember but you know gold was a huge thing in the libertarian world before crypto came along and it had that same kind of idea of wanting something that was a little bit outside the system you know because if you're thinking about real use cases for a central bank for a CBDC there's two of them one is the nice one where at the start of a pandemic you might want to rather than going through all of the measures that we went through, just give everyone a thousand pounds. You know, and you could do that with a touch of a button if everyone had an account that was connected up to the central bank. And that sort of crisis era fiscal policy is something that they have looked at as being a benefit of the central bank digital currency. The other thing that you could do is sanctions policy. You know, you can immediately shut people out of the payments network in a way that you can't immediately shut people out of the cash payments network. So you could, at the start of an international conflict, suddenly get your sanctions list and apply them a lot more rigorously and make it a lot more difficult for sanctioned people to spend their money in London and New York, which is where they want to spend their money. No one actually wants to spend it you know, in the places where they, where they made it from. And it's that sort of quick, immediate action in unusual, low-probability scenarios that the libertarian gold bugs and the libertarian crypto bugs have always been suspicious of central banks. And it's, it's not a wholly unfounded suspicion. It's just no? kind of a suspicion that tends to be associated with being a bit of a lunatic on uh, lots of other issues. Bank of England turned my bank account blue and yellow, yeah. and now they program my money so I cannot spend yeah. it at Maybach dealership. This is bullshit. Yeah. 